Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. boys and girls for another special edition of the michael deacon program joining me in a moment we have new blood my guest will be emily moyer she is a multifaceted professional serving as a nutrition consultant life coach and podcast host with a knack for blending unique life experiences intuitive research and analytical approach she explores unconventional ideas from various domains including alternative cyberspace the arts health sports and human development her podcasts offer fresh perspectives and, and concepts for our ever-evolving understanding now without further ado let's get down to business and bring in emily and join me right now live and direct is emily moyer how's it going i am recovering from something disgusting and flu-like but i'm happy to be here with you i've been in the house for two days so i'm bored and looking forward to a chat to bring you out of that board <laughs> well, well don't thread me with a good time let let me know what disgusting vile thing you are going through i mean uh, the audience loves things that are you know unsavory at times so hit it let me know what's going on <laughs> so i i traveled the last week for work and uh to washington and dc and back like really quick just like there on monday back on tuesday and it, it, the, I don't get sick very often, but when I do, it usually happens to coincide with uh. air travel, right? And so I got back on, on Tuesday night late, and then about Thursday, what? halfway through work, I started to feel a little funny, mm. and I had, um, I was committed to, you know, working the food and wine festival here in Austin. I make craft cocktails, right? And so I... Uh, and it was a lot of physical labor. So Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, all while with the flu, I had to power through that. So I think it was just like your classic flu, which is, you know, some, some you know, body aches and, 
and fevery kind of stuff uh, and a little bit of congestion and throat stuff. Right. Nothing like having to do hard physical labor through that. But I figured if I have any karma left to burn through, it got burned through this weekend. So like, I'm good to go for whatever's coming our way. Another, another <laughs> Right. In other words, you contracted COVID and now you are dying. <laughs> right. You got it. Exactly. Something like that. Interesting. Well, I'm glad you're okay and I'm glad you're here. I know we've been meaning to do this program together for quite some time. And uh, Emily, I'm, I'm so glad you're here. I'm excited that you're here. We, we needed a, a female voice here, a, a very energetic female that's not afraid to speak her mind. And uh, usually we, we get, you know, we, we get females around here, obviously, but they're not, they're very shy, though. Too shy. <laughs> well, I'm definitely not shy. You're not. You're definitely sometimes, not. Sometimes when somebody calls me on the phone, like a telemarketer or something, right. they'll say, uh, <laughs> Good evening, Mr. Moyer, because my voice is deeper than they're expecting. Oh, my. <laughs> right? So I'm definitely not shy, and I suppose you could call it a female voice, though deeper than the other. I, I mean, I, I wouldn't say that. I mean, I, when I'm talking to you, when I first heard you here, I didn't, I didn't think I was talking to a guy. All right, well, good. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I mean, I would tell you I'm that kind of an asshole. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think, you know, while there's... It's definitely predominantly men in the alternative, whatever we're calling this now. Uh, like I don't, what are we calling ourselves? Is I'm not even sure. I mean, I'm not a part of anything. I'm not really part of any yeah. group per se. I'm on the Me outside. Either. I'm on the outside looking in just like you. Yeah. You know, but in the alternative information, uh, conspiracy, whatever right, right. community this thing is, it has been like largely male. There's always been some True. female around like for a long time. Right. And still they're largely relegated to like the health or the feelings portion right. of primitive thought. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, that is also breaking, you know, there's definitely, you know, uh, other people than myself who are, out there like talking about pretty weird cutting edge kind of stuff um but probably not nearly as many as you know as have opinions about it and, right. and hopefully that will 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 change continue to change going forward um i never think about that kind of stuff sure. like i'm always just saying and doing whatever i'm saying or i'm doing and if people like it great and if not no you know sometimes people will point out to me and i can look back in hindsight that like Oh, like something that I did, like I was the only girl doing it or, you know, it was amazing that I got to do that because everyone, I don't think about that when I'm doing it. Um, you know, I, uh, but yes, other people have pointed out to me that there should be more female voices in this arena. And I just think that there should be more interesting voices in this arena. And oh, if those I agree. Female, that's great. I yeah. agree. I agree 100%. And for those who don't know, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and how you kind of jumped into this realm here. And uh, by the way, uh, again, welcome to the program. We love it when it's the first time for, for anyone here. Usually, I love, oh, go ahead. I love being on shows for the first time. That's my, that's like one of my favorite things is to go on someone's show I haven't been on before. So. I know that that's why I love this and I'm introducing you to a whole new audience. They have, they have no idea who you are. They barely know who I am. So I'm, I'm <laughs> glad, I'm glad you're here. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Emily. 
So um, I grew up in Los Angeles, California. Um, I was, uh, you know, there's a couple of interest. I think there's like a few unique things about me. Um, I, I was a competitive gymnast and that's, I started in gymnastics when I was two years old. And the other thing that I started when I was two was I was involved in, uh, in Hollywood, in commercials and television shows and movies. Um, from the time that I was two, really until I was about six, when uh, my love for gymnastics superseded any appeal that the Hollywood thing had for me, I then picked back up with some of the Hollywood stuff uh, later in my teenage years, more as a stunt double using my gymnastics ability. Um, so those are two things that I was sort of involved in from the time I was very young that most people aren't. As well, I come from, I guess I'm, I'm starting to appreciate more and more as I get older, a pretty weird or interesting family. Um, and then as a, you know, in, in my early twenties, I became deeply enmeshed in um, dance, dance music and rave mm. culture. And those three things, I think, gave me kind of a, a unique set of experiences and then perspective as I um, began to delve into um, conspiracy, other versions of reality, counter politics, all of that kind of stuff, you know, sort of in my mid, mid-20s. mid um, for my, my whole life, I was a little bit weird. Like, I didn't uh -huh. like the same things that other people liked. I also wasn't, like, the super weirdest. You know what I mean? There was, like, a specific, you know, something with a sort of a different sparkle would always catch my eye. And you, I weren't like a, you, you weren't, like, the goth kid in high school, were you? No, I wasn't okay, the goth okay. kid, though. Like, I flirted with those that kind of thing. Like, I liked some of those people, and I liked some of that music, but I didn't like, like, the whole thing, right? Like, I kind of, sure. um, you know, certain aspects of certain subcultures or countercultures or undercultures would grab my attention, and I would kind of explore that for a bit and then sort of, take the part I like, leave the rest behind and like move on and explore something else. And I sort of put together like a patchwork quilt of lots of things that appealed to me or that I liked or that I was good at, or that sort of caught my attention in some, in some kind of way that was different than, than everything else. Right. right. And I was also the kind of kid who um, from the time I was a little, was a little bit suspicious. Like I wouldn't say that I was like a conspiracy theorist from day one in terms of like the way we think about it, but I always felt like there was something that my parents weren't telling, telling me you. or something yeah. that, that the grownups were not telling me. And that thing that they were not telling me would explain the difference between what was, you know, we were told was going on and what was really going on or what I thought was going on, but what was actually going on. Um, and so I was always that kid who like didn't want to go to sleep because I thought that whatever the secret thing that was happening was happened, you know, after the kids went to sleep or I always peaked where I wasn't supposed to or, you know, that kind of stuff. Right. So I was always somewhat suspicious and I liked uh, mysteries and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, you know, so you're pretty normal. I, in other words, <laughs> And, you know, and so for me, like that was my life. Like that was how I grew up. It seemed normal to me. 
as I progressed through, I always recognized the difference first between myself and the other kids right. and then myself and the other teenagers and then myself and the other people I worked with or adults. And now when, whenever I meet someone for the first time, like they will, not every person I meet, but anybody I have a lengthy exchange with of any, that has any meaning to it at all. Uh -huh. One of the first things they'll say back to me is how interesting or unusual my story is, or my perspective is, or my background is, or my family sounds or whatever it is. Right. Um, and so I, I am now clear that there is like something unique about my set of circumstances, but I think the thing that is most unique is sort of the angle or the perspective that I have developed on myself, on my life, on the reality that I find myself in, and then the way I describe that to other people. And, and I think that might have been um, a knack for storytelling that I picked up from my grandmother, who could, you know, make you know, she, if she could tell us about the trip that, you know, she and my grandfather had to the auto club to pick up a brochure and make it sound interesting. Right. So I think that I developed some way of sort of, you know, I wouldn't even say it's like embellishing it. I would just say like learning to notice the interesting things going on around you that most people miss. So you can make any sort of experience full and, and detailed. Right. Right. Um, so, yeah. So, you know, I can be a little bit theatrical. I'm definitely high energy and, you know, uh, very physical. Um, and I've also looked into a lot of things. I've, you know, I don't do as much deep research now as I used to just because I don't have the time to do it. Um, but by this point, I've sort of developed research methods that allow me to get to what I'm looking for pretty quickly. Um, but I certainly had a number of years where I spent a lot of time in every rabbit hole and my memory is pretty good. So I'm able to pull from a lot of different arenas. Right. And even when there's something that I've looked into that like, I don't agree with, or like, I don't think that's quite true. There might be something about it that strikes my interest. So I store it away anyway. And then like later it does like, connect in some way to something else. Like even if like most of the rabbit hole was a limited hangout, there was like one painting on the wall that was like a clue to the rabbit hole I should really be in. And so when I find myself there, you know, then I can refer back to that or whatever it is. Um, you know, so I have a lot to say about a lot of different things and then I connect things in, in sort of unusual unusual ways like I probably see connections where other people don't um, and it allows me to pursue less traveled paths and then when it pans out you know I can go back and explain that to people and and you know in a way that is something new or different or interesting to them um, and I think probably that's what people in this realm anyway have come to get to know me for is that I just have a different take a different perspective right. A different sort of way that I thread what I refer to at this point so that people can uh, understand that as either like my own choose your own adventure <laughs> path or my synchro mysticism like I do it a little different than everyone else um, but I've become good at explaining it understood and for those who don't know you can also check out Emily here at 
just by going to YouTube and typing in her name, Emily Moyer, and you'll see that she has a lot of interviews, a lot of uh, shows out there, and the latest one you did was a few weeks ago, if I recall. Um, yeah, that was a few weeks ago, and yes, you're, you're obviously busy. No one has enough time in their lives to really be doing this all the damn time, so I understand how that goes. And, you know, earlier you were mentioning this realm, and it's pretty much male-dominated for sure. And, and I'm sure you get plenty of emails from uh, strange men, I'm sure. <laughs> you got to. Not as many as some of my uh, colleagues do, let's put it that way. I've gotten my fair share of strange emails, um, but, you know, uh, probably not as many as I used to get. And not as many, uh, like, I mean, I get lots of emails, right? Sure. But generally, most of them are range from respectful to interesting or whatever. So they're not, they're not that creepy then, in other words. I, I don't get it. I've gotten some creepy ones over the years, but not as many super creepies as some of my colleagues get. Mm. Um, I, which is just fine with me. Like, I'm perfectly happy you know, to, this you know, is, I feel satisfied uh, with the number of creepy emails right. I've Right. Well, that, that's a good thing. <laughs> and here, here's the, the crazy part. And I know a lot of guys are probably going to get angry at me for saying this. And being honest and telling the truth here, but someone's got to do it. And I, I say this to like every female I know that's on social media, that, that any female really, that uh, posts her photos uh, up anywhere. You're, you're always going to uh, generate at least four to five weird stalkers out there. Right. It's the craziest thing. I know, I know people hate to uh, talk about that, but oh, it's true. It's goddamn true, Emily. <laughs> yeah yeah no i mean i you know i definitely had my fair share of weird stuff but i actually feel like pretty fortunate you know when you choose to do this which i choose to do right right it, it comes along with some stuff oh, right yeah. you, you were mentioning my youtube channel i still post occasional shows on youtube um but i stopped you know i used to do the posting you know, half of every show I did on YouTube. And several months back, I started, I moved to actually doing most of my content just for my supporters and then doing a public show on YouTube occasionally for a variety of, of reasons. Um, but uh, I do, I am doing this all the time. I produce like a, an exorbitant amount of content of, I have many shows I do with other co-hosts and different ideas and themes that I play with on the different shows. But I found that sort of the YouTube thing had like grown, you know, I'd, I'd kind of like run my number with YouTube in terms of like, you know, every time you put a show up, right, you're risking the wrath of sure. the YouTube strikes, oh, and yeah. algorithm, this and that. And, you know, I've been doing this for a long time and I kind of have a following that is into what I'm doing and they've been with me for a long time and they're pretty consistent. And every once in a while, someone new comes or someone old leaves. Um, but I'm not, I wasn't really like growing anymore. Mm. I'm weirder and weirder in my content. So it's more and more niche, um, you know, so every once in a while I'll do a public show. Um, but I do, I am doing, I am creating a ton of content, even though I do other work. Um, you know, and there is, I share a lot of myself mm. on the show. Like I, um, sharing my insights and my thoughts and my personal experiences 
has always been uh, a part of my content. Um, and uh, in the beginning, like, I think I didn't know how to do that right. And I over see. the years, I've figured out how to, how to do that. But along with that, it's just my nature. Like what I know is my experience. And that's the only thing I can um, really report 100% accurately on. I talk about all the other stuff, but I talk about it from my perspective and right, the way right. that I do it, it's sharing a lot of personal stories. And some people don't like that. It's some people, and I think it's fair. Some people think that that's like, all she ever does is talk about herself. That's fine. Like you don't have to listen. I'm not talking about myself because I think I'm more important than anyone else. I'm talking about my experiences because they're the ones that I know. Right. right. And, um, I, there's some things that I've experienced that people will come back to me and say, you know, that thing you talked about, that happened to me. And I have never heard anybody else say that. So thank you for saying that. So I don't think I'm crazy. Right. And also like, you know, I've learned how to share my stories a little bit from listening to you, but it took me a while to be good at it. And some people still don't like it. And so I realized at a certain point that the things that interest me and the way that I share is not for everybody. It's for a select group of people, right? right? And, and I'm and that's okay the best, with that. And that, yeah, and that's the best part. It's hard for some people to realize that and get it through their heads that no matter what, there's always going to be a group of people out there that are just going to hate everything that you say. They're going to just, uh, they're, they're not going to like anything about you. So it's better to, I guess, dance on eggshells than to walk around them. <laughs> yeah. Right. I just kind of figured out like what I was doing and why I was doing it. And some people will like it and some people don't. There's also some people who like listened to everything I've ever done. And right. Like, I don't, the stalkers. As well. <laughs> yeah. Right. But, um, you know, when you do share as much personally as I do, there are certain things that go along with that. There are um, sort of consequences for that. And, um, at a certain point, I just decided that I was going to do most of my content for my supporters. And, you know, that's the path that I have that I have chosen. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouthwatering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, and it also allows me to explore uh, ideas that I'm not certain about yet, right? Without having this public record on YouTube of everybody saying, well, you said this and you were wrong about that and you were wrong about that. Well, I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just wanting to explore it. And sometimes you can better explore an idea if for the period of time that you're looking into it, you are suspending disbelief. Your, your, you know, your belief when you're watching the movie, you know, you enjoy it more if you're not trying to tear it apart and deconstruct it from the moment you say go. Like watch the whole thing, take it, take it in as it is, and then you can go back and rewatch it and break it down and analyze it for, you know, for clues or this, that, or the other thing. But if you're trying to explore something and you're, 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 you know, 
worried as you're going through the whole time about making mistakes, it limits how deeply you can really explore that topic, like how right. many angles you can see it from. So, you know, when you're on YouTube and you make mistakes, right? Like it's out there forever. And, oh, yeah. and I've chosen to free my, I don't really, I don't really care that much about making mistakes, but I have found that I can explore much uh, stranger topics and much more deeply um, when I choose to do that, like just on my own private platform. Absolutely, right? So it's yeah. a different way of doing it. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, Emily, you mentioned going to raves. Um, how old were you when you were attending, uh, attending these uh, fest uh, festivals rather? So I got into break dancing. Break dancing. As a child, oh, shit. As a child. Yeah. When my dad took me uh, during the 1984 Olympics, he took me down to Venice Beach because the um, like the marathon or like some portion of like one of the events was like, I think it was like the marathon or whatever, right? It was passing through Venice Beach. So it was like, okay, we can go down there and you can watch that part for free without having to have a ticket to one of the events. And when we went down there, there was break dancers on the um, on the boardwalk there. The and pier. I had never seen that before. Yeah. Okay. I was already, the, the only time I had seen it once before, I had seen it in the movie Flashdance, ah, right? right. Um, and, and I liked that, but I was about six or seven when Flashdance came out. And though I was already a gymnast, um, I, you know, was at a certain level. But by the time my dad took me in 1984, yeah. my skill level was higher. So it was kind of like, oh, well, I can do that stuff now. So I turned the living room of our house into like a place <laughs> where I practiced spinning on my back, spinning on my head and all that kind of stuff. Because wow. that wasn't really what we were allowed to do at the gym. Right. So that always appealed to me. And I always liked dance style music. Um, you know, that was kind of, I, I always liked, uh, music that had like a four on the floor beat and a lot of rhythm that way. Um, but I didn't actually go to a rave until a little later, the, later into in the nineties, like uh. in the mid to late nineties. Um, some people that I worked with, uh, at a, a coffee place I worked at in Malibu and then later a pizza place I worked at in, in Brentwood. Um, they went to raves and I went along a couple of times and, and I'll be honest with you, like sure. I didn't, I didn't quite, it didn't quite match for me, right? Like I didn't quite get it. Um, but I, for, you know, like I, there was, there would be moments where like, I, I sort of felt like what the, what the big deal was. It's, right? a, lot like of, I well, remember, it's a lot of house music though. I mean, I'm sure your head might've uh, been hurting after all that. I, I mean, I, I've been to, so when I first started going, I went to some drum and bass parties. I went to some house stuff. And like, I remember being at this party mm. on a mountaintop overlooking Los Angeles. And I had taken an ecstasy pill. And oh, the DJ like dropped the bass so deeply that wow. like the whole mountain shook and I felt it through my body. And I remember really liking that. Right. And, and I went to some parties and <laughs> yeah. I enjoyed myself. Um, and I had always enjoyed dancing, you know, obviously I told you, but I was kind of introverted socially that way. Mm. And gymnasts kind of are, even though like I might be an extrovert talking in terms of like dancing out in public. Right. My Different story. Yeah. And then when I moved to Austin, 
Um, I, I moved here. I took a coaching job, coaching gymnastics, and I was going to the University of Texas. I had dropped in and out of school a couple of times. Um, I, you know, was wanting to meet people and I was like, well, I had gone to some of these parties and some of these people are nice. So I guess I'll go to the local music store and pick up a flyer and I'll go to a party, you know, whatnot. And uh, as soon as I started going to parties here in Austin, I started meeting a lot of people, uh, with much, uh, I don't know, like I was just more sort of socially, I fit in here better. And, uh, one party early on that I went wow. to in Austin, I remember like, I don't know what happened, but suddenly I was like dancing in a way that I had never danced before. Oh. And like, I had this like download of information that like was kind of about the, the history of this music. And it kind mm. of hit me on sort of a cellular level. And from that night forward, I was obsessed with dancing. I was obsessed with techno music and house music. And I understood intuitively, like, where this music came from, why it was important. Like, weirdly, like, really? I knew actual facts about the history of the music. Well, Emily, you, you got to tell me, what did you take? I took ecstasy. You, so you right? took ecstasy like, and you got this download of all this information. I mean, I had taken it before, right? I had yeah. taken ecstasy okay. before. I had enjoyed the parties, but, like... Not this, like this, I, though. I was at the Austin City Music Hall... And I was standing in this one area of the Austin City Music Hall that from there forward became like my favorite place to dance. And it was almost like energy was streaming into me. You know, I particularly liked that the music that was playing that night, right? And and um, right. I don't know, something grabbed me. And if wow. you talk to people who go to, who get deeply into dance music, it will be like that. They went to their first rave or whatever it is, and one night just changed their whole life, and then they were really into that music. And, you know, that was, for me, it didn't happen at the very first rave, but it happened pretty early on. And from there, I was deeply, I mean, every weekend going to multiple parties. Um, and the music for me, and, and sometimes, and the drugs for sure were part of it. Right. But it was, it started this pretty deep, like internal exploration, mm. you know, and psychological sort of analysis of myself. And how, then, how, how old were you at this point, by the way? I'm sorry to interrupt. I was actually 25. 25, was okay. A little, a little bit older than a lot of people. Like most people like get knee deep in a little younger than that. Like I had been going for a little bit and you know, whatever it is, but at 25 in 1999, I had a life-changing experience with the music. Wow. And from there I was sold on that music and it became part of my life. And it, But for me, it wasn't just going to the party and enjoying the music and taking drugs and socializing, though I was doing all of those things. I fell in love with this really deep exploration of my psyche and then the sort of one-to-one -one comparison of that which was going on inside of me to things that were going on outside of me and seeing that correlation, right? That as within, so without, as above, you know, as below, so above, or whatever it is. Like I enjoyed playing with that. And I started to have sort of some, you know, I guess what you would call like a little bit of like out of body experiences mm. or sort of dissociative experiences. When I say dissociative, I don't mean that in the way that you think uh, that you normally think of it. What I mean is the ability to like observe myself, to be uh -huh. outside of myself and watch myself. I understand and, exactly what you mean. Yeah. 
for me, that was like part of part of that was I, I danced in the circle a lot because I was a break dancer, mm. right? And I had a couple of interesting experiences on acid where oh, yeah. I could standing on the side of the circle, watching myself dancing in the circle. Oh, I and know. Then, I, I've been there before a time or two. Um, you know, I've taken acid uh, all by accident, by the way. I have no idea how it it, it entered my <laughs> body. Let's put it that way. Yes, it was all an accident. Uh, just, you know, I've had a number of accidents. Let's put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I mean, it's very, you know, in the beginning, like, so I started with taking, you know, um, ecstasy and then i got into acid and ah. i think acid was much more interesting to me than ecstasy was you learn more I, you learn more and, and at a certain point i kind of stopped taking ecstasy and i was just taking acid and then a year or two later i was kind of like done with acid but then i tried mushrooms and and mushrooms became they brought, like they, my favorite. yeah and they still are to this day like i do a lot of my you know exploration or just sort of so um, you know I don't, I, don't, I don't do them frequently but right. when i do them i glean a lot of information that i then spend the next six months or eight months or year till the next time i do it like really mining that right. that information that i got for all that it was kind of you know worth and i really enjoyed sort of the places that i would go right. in my head the things that i would learn the you know all the visuals like i would close my right. eyes and see all kinds of stuff on the back of my eyelids that you know over the years have turned out to be actually really valuable high level esoteric information at sometimes right so for me that was probably the part about it that i like though i enjoyed being at the party with everybody sure you know that was the part that i was really addicted to and then as the years went on i left austin and I moved several places. Um, at a certain point, you know, I was mostly back in Los Angeles, which is where I'm from. And, you know, ultimately that's where I've done most of my, my partying and dance music kind of stuff. And at a certain point, my life became very complicated. And I, I, I did have about 10 or 15 years where I was deeply into uh, hard drug use. Whoa, shit. Okay. And that so you, coincided you, you left huh? behind you left behind this world of music for a while this was emily I back mean, at 25 listening to this she was listening to this at uh, age 25 uh, on acid <laughs> I, I can't even imagine holy shit anywho uh, you know so i i um i was still going to parties but my life became complicated this right. coincided with um, having poked a hole in the curtain and really starting to realize that the world was not, not as, as it is. Told. And and Emily, let me let me just cut you off right there. Okay, tell me about the when did the hard drugs come in exactly? What, what was going uh, through uh, Emily at the time when this all occurred? So I had had one brief year of hard drug use when okay. I was twenty. Right, mm -hmm. I had like stumbled into using cocaine in okay. a very strange way. It was over pretty quickly and, and, and moved on from that. And then during when I was living here in Austin, uh, during those party years here in Austin, 
um, some friends that I went to parties with used meth and I was introduced to meth. Oh, recreational uh, stuff. I see. It wasn't like, yeah. a, okay, okay, okay. I, I thought perhaps you were going through something personal that sort of led you down uh, the hard drug use. But now it seems like this was just a recreational uh, no, phase. No, no, it wasn't recreational. It was, I mean, it was introduced to me socially. Right, right, right. yeah, and yeah. For a while it was on and off, and then... I meant social, a, recreational, sorry. <laughs> yeah, and then at a certain point, like, I was a tweaker, right? And that, you know, oh, from my. about, you know, 26 years old until, like, 39 or 40, on and off for those 15 years... I was a drug user and that sort of colored everything else. And that coincided with the deep dives into the conspiracy mm. realm, the metaphysical realm and all of this kind of stuff. And was it, it the provided, what was it the meth that got you into conspiracies? Uh, I wouldn't say exactly that it was the meth. I'd yeah. say that um, it was the, the two things were happening simultaneously. It's a hard word. Trust and, me. I know. The meth provided the fuel for amount and depth of research that I did. And it it definitely numbed me and allowed me to, I've looked at some pretty weird and pretty difficult stuff. Right. And it definitely, I mean, I sometimes would be up 26 hours a day. So I had plenty of time to research. Oh, yeah. Um, and I also was able to just power through really hard material that, I think if I hadn't been anesthetized by the drugs would have been so damaging to my emotions and psychology that like, I wouldn't have been able to continue. Like no sane, sober person would have been able to spend a number of hours looking at some of the disturbing things that I was reading and, and, and studying and finding out about, um, without it, with, you know, without falling apart. Now I was falling apart in a different way, but I powered through all of that stuff right uh, in that sort of condition but it also you know some of the it was kind of interesting the way the thing that really poked it open for me was i had had i had this class i was taking i was back in school in los angeles and i took this class called the sociology of drug use mm. as part of the class there was two things that came up that sort of poked at me and made me you know, like deep, dig deeper. And that was, uh, I learned about the the Dark Alliance, which is the uh, Gary Webb, Ricky Ross, uh, you know, yeah. Iran Contra crack cocaine thing. He's been on the program, by the way. Freeway, Freeway Ricky Freeway Ross. Ross. Right. Yeah. Many that moons a, ago. Yeah, that was a pivotal um, shift for you. Pivotal shift. That was uh -huh. in 2005. Um, the teacher had like the original newspaper articles written by Gary Webb, which wow. at that point had been suppressed. Right now they're freely available again, but at, for a period of time, like they had disappeared copies of those newspapers and true, yes. didn't have the level of internet that we have now. Um, and that really um, stuck with me. And that was when I first learned about, oh, it's interesting how the government creates the problems that they then later are pretending to try to solve. That's and right. the connection between geopolitics and street crime or drugs or weapons in the United States. Like I really started to have my opinion of the government shift from like, you know, something that is there to, if not help at the very least, like keep things under control, 
to, oh, no, they're there to actually cause problems. Right. To, right. And to, con to control people, not to help anything. Right. So that and then another part of the course, there was a small section on MKUltra. And of course, it was the this course was only taught for one semester and then the teacher was fired. So I think she taught us some things maybe she wasn't supposed to. Um, she got it was a very interesting course, but this part on MKUltra, it, it it didn't go super deep. It was the stuff that, you know, uh, people are allowed to know. Oh, you know, they drug people, uh, men in whorehouses, you know, gave them acid and then interrogated them. And, you know, oh, the, it stopped after the church committee discovered it in the right. 70s. It was the basic stuff. But when I when I heard the term MKUltra, it 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 felt all very familiar to me, and I instinctively knew that what was being told to me in this course was not the whole story. And so I started really digging into and researching MKUltra, which has been the thing that I have probably spent the most time with uh, as a researcher and a you know presenter is sort of the lesser known and deeper aspects of, of those types of projects and programs. Um, so then that hole had been poked through. So, but during that time was also when my drug use was increasing. So those two things coincided. Right. And at that time, I was going to a lot of parties, but I didn't have as many friends in the party scene in LA as I did here. So it became a very solitary experience. I wasn't really socializing. I was just going to parties, being on drugs, and losing myself in my own mind while I was dancing with the music Damn. and thinking about these things that I was learning and researching, but sort of using that um, that that experience of sound and light and dancing and movement to like you know sort of explore all those things from different perspectives, not just looking at documents, right? And I started to really develop some unique angles on how all of that stuff worked, both in terms of the way the projects were run, but also in terms of the way they were able to keep them uh, secret or keep people right. confused about what they were based on how people see things. Um, and this, I did this for many, many years. And it was really a part of developing my unique perspective, which some people will say can't be trusted because drug use was involved in it. But what's weird is, is lots of other people who didn't do drugs, who've done deep research, have come to the same conclusion. They just got there a different way, right? That's and right. also, when I get, when, where lots of people get stuck and can't go farther, some weird little idea when I had that I had when I would think about it when I was on drugs will give me a clue as to where else I can go looking for information. And there I will often, often return the information that you can't find when you do it the traditional way. You know, so there's, I, I don't regret, I've been clean for eight years from hard drugs. I still enjoy a psychedelic experience here or there. But I don't regret those years because I got to see things from a different angle than most people get to see them. And that's and that's the same and, view that the elite use today, by the way. They are all but, on drugs and you have to sometimes do them to understand the enemy. Yeah, I mean, I definitely I have a different idea. I probably have a different opinion on what drugs are 
and why they're illegal and what they actually do than most people. Um, but it's exactly what you said. They're all like, tools, I, right? We live in a multi-dimensional reality and there are different realities that are, um, you know, basically adherence to different frequency bands, right? And if you can resonate with a specific frequency, you can experience that version of reality. And one of the ways you change the frequency you resonate at is by using drugs. There are other ways as well, right? But like, you know, let's just say that um, there's a different re reality that exists at a at certain number of hertz. And then you can also find a substance that takes your frequency to that number of hertz. Yeah, right? a shortcut. Then you can experience that. And, and I think that there's, um, you know, realities that are based around frequencies. There's a realities that are based around specific elements and they're all here with us. They're all coexisting, but at different angles or at different levels or layers and drugs take you through some of those. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And by so the way, what, yeah, you, you don't regret it. I don't think you should at all. I mean, all these things were sort of laid out for you in a way and an argument can be made if you, let's say, uh, if you believe in free will or determination, um, I, we we can we could talk about that for a long time, but we don't have to get into that just yet. But I, I was going to say, going back to what you mentioned about Gary Webb and uh, Freeway mm -hmm. Ricky Ross, I, I wanted to quickly mention. Um, do you find it funny that people think that? These things don't, they, they no longer happen anymore, that this isn't going on anymore. It, it, they say, well, it happened back then, you know, things change. I, I always say, do you think so? The problems that we had yesterday are still here today, by the way, and things are still pretty much ran the same way they were uh, many moons ago, except now they're a little bit more complex. Uh, you hear people arguing about, um, you know, guns and drugs and different cartels and you have terrorists and it's like, well... We fund all of that, by the way. We, we never stopped. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think things look different because we have more technology, right? And, and we, and that, but that's, but yeah, I mean, I think it's a pretty similar template and pattern, right? I think, um, yeah, but it's pretty much the same thing. Like everything that will become a problem later is something that the person who will be upset about the problem later funded in the beginning generally, right? Like, I mean, it's not, it's, you know, lots of problem reaction solution or Hegelian dialectic or, oh, or yeah. whatever it is. Um, but there's also, you know, things, things evolve, but they remain the same. Correct. It looks a little different, right? There's like right. the new, newfangled, you know, like if my grandmother was alive, yeah. she would be confused as to like where her telephone went. Right. But once I explained to her that this silly little thing that looks like a remote <laughs> control right. is now the telephone and you can still call your friend and talk the same, right? So it's like, you know, it, it, it looks different and and it, it's varied and whatnot. And obviously things have become on some level more complex just right. because with the proliferation of social media and the technologies that go along with it, you're able to use um, propaganda and the audience that is targeted by the propaganda, you're able to use their sort of uh, interactions and their participation in it 
as a way to like amplify or deflect or obscure social engineering. Yes. Right. And so it, 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 you have to, you have to like maybe go a few layers, like you have to back up in a different way, right? You have to either like back up and look at it from afar or really immerse yourself in it in a different way than you did before we had the level of technology and social media we have now. But at the end of the day, what Gary Webb and Freeway Ricky Ross went through is still happening. It's, it's it, you know, it's still happening. Absolutely. And, and there, uh, more people are falling for it now than fell for it then. Absolutely. And um, <laughs> you're, you're someone who believes widely in synchronicities. And I just wanted to quickly add and throw this one in there for you. But do you feel that history is repeating itself? And I, I feel it is. I feel like we're, we're back in like uh, we're, we're back on post 9-11 right now. Mm -hmm. Well, it is weird if you really look at what's going on around everywhere with the fashions and the music right. like definitely been very 90s -like. very 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 goddamn 90s again I, again I, i'm like i'm wondering what what time period i'm in i mean they just claim yeah. to have found out who murdered tupac so i'm like what year are we in yeah it's very 90s like which you know the 90s came just before 9 11 right so we do seem to be on like some weird kind of cycle i don't think it's like complete repeat yourself like i don't think it's like circular ah, yes right or a loop i think it's more spiral in nature like or vortice like in nature so like it will circle back around again either a little wider or a little tighter and it'll feel similar and smell similar and look similar, but a few things will be different, right? And, and those few things will be, you know, sort of that are different will be sort of the thing that allows um, a person's pattern matching, no matter how good it is, to not quite catch on to what's happening before it happens, right? Like type of thing. You know, it's, it's very... Um, uh, so if you if you ever listened to Terrence McKenna, who I'm certainly very well familiar oh, yes. with, the I, problems I, with I've Terrence McKenna. His, I interviewed his brother, by the way. Right, and the suspicions around Terrence McKenna and his brother. I'm not saying that there's no there's no fishy stuff at the there, deli. Well, let's be right? honest. There's something a little off about them. I'm not quite sure what it was, but there there's something there. I, I don't know what exactly yeah. it means, though. That said, like. Terrence McKenna um, had, gave lots of interesting talks and had lots of interesting ideas and was a fantastic storyteller. Do you think he worked uh, for the feds? Um, I think that, like, I don't know that he was sitting there going, <laughs> all right, I'm going to do this for the feds. <laughs> right. I'm 100% right. certain that at some point his social sphere and his mind were penetrated by intelligence and willingly or unwillingly he you know was swayed sometimes and at certain point he probably became aware of it and wasn't quite sure what to do about it and in his own way probably tried to uh, manage it when you know manage it and not allow it to completely destroy the part, you know, his work, but at a certain point when that's happened to you, you then don't even know 
where you were led astray. So are you even dealing with good material or whatnot? And I don't think he, you know, he doesn't seem the personality type who would come out and say, hey, look, I was fooled. And so therefore you may have been led down the wrong path as well. Um, but I don't think he did a lot of things. And he doesn't strike me as someone who like would enjoy being in on leading people down the garden path. But he does strike me as someone who, if he figured out that's what happened, might not say anything. Right. Like that's, that's sort of my, my best analysis. I can't say for sure one way or the, or another, there's other people who, you know, it's easier for me to believe are in on it. Now I'm also, um, I think it's also fair to say, well, Emily, you like a lot of the things Terrence McKenna says, and so it's going to be harder for you to believe that he might be a bad guy. And that's possible too. I consider it from all, all the angles, right? Like right. I, I'm very, I, you know, like I, I look at things from many different perspectives and I always have a healthy dose of skepticism and a healthy dose of optimism. And I try to balance those things. But nonetheless, he had very interesting ways of describing things. And there was one talk he gave where he was like sitting at a computer at a desk and he was explaining the evolution of novelty to somebody, right? And he was talking about time would speed up and eventually like, you know, that basically fashions like hemlines would rise and fall to the same rhythm that civilizations rose and fall in the past. And it would all be part of the same sort of circle or spiral or, you know, sort of history repeating itself kind of thing, right? It's all part right. of that same like spiral or vortex that I, that I had talked about. And it was so eloquent the way that he explained it, right? Um, that it was like the same thing that was causing those things to happen. And um, I think it's it, that, that it's that, right? Like, I think that, um, you know, we, I don't know necessarily like what's the chicken and what's the egg or what's the start point and what's the end point or sure. if they're one and the same or whatever it is, but you know, it's, um, it's some sort of fascinating like spiral or sort of infinity loop that is sort of like hyperdimensional that we live in and that we sort of move around in. And it gives us the impression that we're moving sort of forward and that time is linear, but I actually think it's more sort of spiral or spherical and sort of curves back on itself and revisits certain ideas only so you can extrapolate like a different perspective on it and then move forward with that. And, you know, so I think it's, it's part of the way that, nature and reality and the universe and time sort of enfolds and unfolds itself. I'm also going to say something here that's a little unsavory, but you know, I think he was also a bit of a creep. <laughs> it's possible. I yeah, think he I mean, kind of was. I, right. He just comes across a little creepy at times. And for those who don't know, he's an ethnobotanist, by the way, a, a mystic of sorts, a shaman of sorts, and a very intelligent guy, I, I may add. But there was that creepy element to it uh, for, for the man, if you've ever met him in person. And I know a few people who have, and he was a little off. Aren't they all? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've never met him in person. I know some people who have, right? Um, and, I, you know, I haven't listened to or followed him as closely as some people. But I did listen to some talks and lectures of his at a very specific time in my sort of development in terms of like how I 
understand the world and uh, you know how I right. um, internalize experiences. And I found some of the ways that he describes things and some of the ways that he sort of synthesizes uh, information from different realms to be intriguing. Um, and you know that, right. but, but I also know that like people who do a lot of, you know, psychedelics can develop some oddities and very paranoid and, and can be in like, you know, like, I don't, I don't love all the people that I meet at parties or that I, you know, certainly like, I think there's a lot of people there that I find a little bit weird and I'm sure they find me to be weird or whatever (laughs) it is. Right. So I think he's, uh, was, you know, uh, a man who is imperfect, like all of us are. Um, and I think that, you know, I, I guess like the difference between, I don't know you, I'm just meeting you today, right? But we've all made mistakes in our life. We've been fooled. Right. Right. We've done dumb stuff. All I'm saying is I'm not, I'm, I would never let him uh, babysit my kids if I ever had them. Oh, no, them. never, never. Well, no, no, If no, I had no, kids, no, no. Yeah, all, yeah. that's all I'm saying. Yeah. No, I agree with you. I wouldn't let him babysit my kids. I don't have any kids, but if I had kids, I wouldn't let him babysit. Exactly. I, I, yeah. yeah, I wouldn't leave him around small animals or anything is what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, God bless his soul, though. I mean, he opened a lot of windows, a lot of doors. Um, but yeah, th- there's been a lot of unsavory things about the man, but I'm not going to get into that. He's nothing like a, another person out there who I actually admired and liked at one time, and that would be um, Hunter S. Thompson. You know, I've, I've always liked Hunter S. Thompson for the longest time. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you later find out about the guy. And um, uh, there's a lot of uh, things that are beyond uh, creepy about uh, this gentleman. But it gets even weirder. I mean, I, I knew a, a channeler of sorts, Emily. And she was telling me that she was channeling Hunter S. Thompson. And he was going to her to uh, communicate with me through her. <laughs> That that's Hunter, a, S. Thompson, crazy. Hunter S. Thompson was going to a channeler that you said Emily. Were you just talking to me, or was her name Emily? No, no, no I'm, I'm, I was just talking to you. Okay, okay. So mm-hmm. You said the way you said it. I wasn't sure if she, you were meant. Ah, meaning sorry, I didn't mean to confuse you. So Hunter S. Thompson was going to a channeler to communicate with you. No, no, no. He his dead uh, spirit was uh, communicating oh. through this uh, channeler for some reason. Right. He kept coming to her. And right. uh, relaying messages to me, it was the, the strangest ah. thing. Interesting. I don't know what to make of that. I don't know enough about you to make it to make sense of that or whatnot. But I don't either. This, you're not the first person who's told me something like that, like not about Hunter S. Thompson, right? But I certainly have had very strange interactions in the realms with and in the regular physical reality that we all share here Right. that seemed beyond the pale and very inexplicable to me. And I've had many people tell report very strange experiences, right? Right, right? So I think one of the things that happens is as we become increasingly aware of how strange this place we live is, right? Others who've had the same specific unique, like sometimes you just have a weird thought right? Like, where did this one come from? And back to this one is so weird, I might not even ever tell anyone else because people would think I was crazy. To talk <laughs> that, right? right? But we live in this system that seems to be aware of when we have an insight. And once you, if you, let's just say you had some unique insight or a moment of, 
of, of awareness of something bizarre about the place that we live or the nature of the human experience. And maybe he had that as well. It almost like, like fires off an alarm for the one or two or five other people that have ever had that thought or that feeling or not. Uh-huh. And it sets up this sort of connection, like this sort of etheric connection. And then they want to try and communicate. And sometimes these are people who are living with us but it seems weird that they would know us. And other times there are people that are gone, that are past, or or people that are spirits that we don't even know that these people ever existed. Like, we're all really just looking for connection and understanding. And it comes sometimes from uh, directions and places and people and realms that you're not expecting it from. So that's not the first time I've heard something like that. It's just very, very strange. And I'm wondering if it was a real synchronicity or an artificial synchronicity you mean a controlled coincidence perhaps i mean I, you could also call it that it's just i think there are artificial synchronicities out there that are kind of made to um, target certain individuals yeah i mean there's this is a, a multi-layered onion right like this is an ongoing topic of conversation between myself and one of my co-hosts mm. michael Wan, um and and the people who sort of are part of the project that we've been doing for the last two and a half or three years, right? Like, um, you know, there are synchronicities, there are coincidences, and then there are arranged, you know, things that are clearly just, you know, a bait and switch. Yeah. Bait and switch. In other words, where, you know, a group of people could have the same idea, but again, it's a bait and switch where you're led down the wrong uh, rabbit hole. So, so I think there's like a variety of different levels and layers to each of those that I delineated. And then there's like blended kinds of things. Um, you know, we pretty early on when we started tracking and studying synchronicity, um, we fell on to a lot of the work by John Lilly. And he uh-huh. had this idea called, called, well, he had this document that he created called Echo. And he talked about the earth coincidence control network or operation right where basically um there were certain kinds of coincidences that were being controlled for you and once you understood how that worked then you would be tasked with controlling the coincidences of others right um and i don't know if this was something yeah he liked or an idea it was it was more an idea he came across in his ventures with psychedelics and whatnot, right? So I think there's lots of things at, at play. And I think that it, it's no, like, there's not a um, uh, one right answer, right? We you. all obviously know that when we talk about something and then our phone shows us an ad for that, that is right. not a coincidence or synchronicity, right? Um, but there's other types that are deeper, more meaningful that run the gamut from right. completely um, manufactured to completely natural and special. And then there's a, a, like a million varieties in between. And it's hard sometimes to, to know how to feel about some of these occurrences. Um, but it's fascinating to, to sort of explore. Absolutely. And of course, there's like phone telepathy, by the way. It's, you, you already yeah. have someone in your mind and all of a sudden they call you or text you. Mm-hmm. Pretty trippy shit, right? I mean, I think one of the things that's happening 
Uh, let me see if I can, like, this was something I was talking about a few months back and it was uh -huh. super clear in my mind, but I haven't thought about it in a while. And sometimes like, you know, like there's the fog, the I haven't brain thought fog, about it right. While, right. But then there's also like the flu brain fog. So let me see if I can explain this in a, in a catchy and clever way here. No worries. You gotta all, of fight. Technology, mm -hmm. all of the technology mimics the humans and the universe, right? Like it's, they try to, they, they play this cool trick on us where they've convinced us to communicate with each other by telling people we have downloads, which would make us sound like we're like computers, but really they have built computers to mimic things that our brains, our bodies, our consciousness and our environment do, right? So if they're building technologies <clears throat> that are modeled after our bodies or our brains or our neural networks or whatever, and those, those technologies communicate with each other, and they're very similar to us, right? Then we would be picking up some of that information as well. So it might not be that their idea is to control us, is to, is to do that as a thing of control, right? But if they have the technologies that are doing machine, machine learning or network learning or are trading information back and forth, and they are modeled after to work similar to the way we work, then we would be picking up a lot of that information that's going back and forth as well. Uh -huh. That makes sense. Yeah. So I, and, and I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but <laughs> right. it makes sense that if, you know, if, if, if you're building something to mimic something else, and that thing you're mimicking is also going to learn the things that the things you built to mimic it learn. In other words, you're not excited for AI. <laughs> um, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not as, I, I don't think about it a lot. It's not, um, uh, I'm not as paranoid about it as some other people are. Some people are, are very, some people are extremely paranoid by, by it, by the way, except, you know, with all the, uh, all the um, robots being made, uh, basically to get rid of all the workers out there, people are losing their minds. Yeah, I don't think about it very much, and I don't, um, I don't use like Chat GPT. I don't like sign up for all the new art generator AI, Chat GPT. Let your, you know, computer run your business for you. Like, I don't sign up for all that stuff. And, right. Um, I don't. I, I also look at like how inefficient. Like, we have all of this tech, and we're supposed to be terrified because. Everything is a police state and a surveillance state and AI is going to take over and this, that, and the other thing. But like, there's so much inefficiency and, and you know, like all these new things that they come up with or half of them, more than half of them are failures. Yeah. That's right? another thing. They don't really work as well as you, you think they do. Nothing really works. And if you go like outside of your bubble, right? Like I was just in Mexico for a vacation and like most places there like the cell phone doesn't even work half the places you go. Right. Wi-Fi is weak. The, the cell towers are still 2G or 3G. You can't listen to a live stream. You might be able to listen to a short YouTube video. So how like an all-encompassing AI takeover is going to take place when that's the case is a, a mystery to me. Like I was just, you know, I happened to arrive in Cabo San Lucas um, when a hurricane was hitting. 
right? Like we arrived there on Friday afternoon or midday Friday. The hurricane hit sort of Friday night and through Saturday. And then by Sunday, it started clearing up and we got to enjoy the rest of our vacation. We had to stay, you know, in the hotel room for a day and a half. And at some points there was like no power or no internet or whatever it is. But this was a place where like, they didn't even, they're not even used to getting rain there, like anything more than a drizzle. So like, they didn't know what to do. And like a week later, even though everything was back open, like a lot of places still didn't have cable TV or internet backup or anything like that. So whether the storm is created by, you know, harp or chemtrails or natural or whatever it is, their AI takeover is not very efficient if the things that it would run on can't be immediately re-erected after their created storm passes through, right? I agree, so, yeah. I used to get scared about this stuff, like a lot, right? Like when I was living in downtown Los Angeles and at the height of my drug use and at the depth of my conspiracy researcher and, and research and, and, you know, was just absolutely completely awash in, in the paranoia that goes along with having hit the bottom of the rabbit hole, right? I was terrified at that point that we were, there was going to be um, a tsunami because that you were hearing all this stuff about like a go global coastal event. Remember this when Cliff High used to talk about this back in like 2011 or 2012 oh, and yeah. that, you know, the oceans were going to rise and whatever it was. Right. And so like, I remember calculating how many miles it was from the beach to my apartment downtown Los Angeles. And I was living on the 11th floor. So I was like, okay, well, at least if, if there was some sort of wave, I'm kind of high up. And I was thinking about all this stuff. Right. And then Larry Ellison bought a ton of property in Malibu. Right. And Larry Ellison owns Oracle, which is a, you know, sort of predictive type of software. Right. If the entire, he bought like almost like a huge portion of Malibu. Like this is not a person who's going to want to lose his investment. So if that was going to disappear, he wouldn't have just bought all of that. Right. So I'm pretty sure there's not going to be a global coastal event anytime soon. And and, and I started to really like whenever there's a fear porn campaign around something like that now, I go and I look and I see whose investments would be harmed if that were to happen. And when I see that, like those people who are also, those people like are also the ones who are like creating the technology technologies to see into, it just doesn't make any sense. Right. Like I just don't get that scared anymore of that kind of thing. Right. You can't create a scenario where like the people that you are, the, the, the people that you are harvesting for energy or profits are going to disappear, but you're still only interested in harvesting. It, it just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. Right? And I'm glad you brought up Cliff High, by the way. You know, he's also someone who's been on, uh, been here on the program, but I haven't talked to him in many years. And, you know, I forgot all about that. He was one of the, the individuals pushing that narrative that the oceans were going to rise and all this was going to happen. I, I recall that and, you know, he's someone who goes after other people for making uh, false promises and, you know, throwing that narrative out there. And um, I I guess he forgot that he was one of them. So, like, I, you know, like, I also have done, I did about four or five shows with Cliff High many years back, right? And um, I had my own personal experience sort of with Cliff High that is, I think, informed how I sort of feel about him 
I'm mostly humored by him, right? I have a hard time taking him serious. He was always very nice to me. I'll put it that. He was always very nice to me, right? And I enjoyed the conversations I had with him because they brought some interesting ideas forward, whether they're valid or not. Right. Um, he has said a lot of things that just absolutely were nonsense and didn't turn out to be true. But he also, a couple of times, has uh, said or predicted things that like, well, damn, that was a pretty good one. Like during that same period of time where he was predicting the global coastal event, he also talked about the fact that there was going to be some kind of weird sun disease and people would lose their mind and go batshit. Well, we got coronavirus, right? That's true. And the corona is the sun and people did lose their minds and go batshit. And right, it was kind of, you know, like, so he's a very mixed bag, right? And um, he, you know, I, I don't trust him. I'm humored by him. We still like him, but um, we don't trust him. That's exactly right. You know, he he did a he he requested to be on my show, right? Like I like he he wanted to be on 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 our on show. Your show. And so okay, it was when I was still working with Randy, my good friend Randy Morgan, so I did Off Planet Radio with for a number of years, right? And he wanted to talk uh, specifically with uh, us based on some things that. Uh, Randy had said about some things that were going on in the alternative media at that time. And then also he wanted to talk about time and he felt like, wait, who's um, Randy, Randy Moggins. Uh, he's so, he was my co-host on off planet radio. He's oh, actually, okay, okay. I would say that it was when I first found Randy Moggins back a long time ago when his yeah. show was not called off planet radio and it was called exotica. When I first found his show, uh, I think it was about something around 2009. That was when I stepped into like a very deeper, weirder understanding of what was really going on here that defied not just conventional norms, but also conspiracy norms and counter politic norms and really started to looking, looking at some of the strange interplay between realms that was kind of really shaping and molding what was happening that allows people, even people who consider themselves to be outside the box thinkers or conspiratorial in their in their mindset or whatever, to be easily fooled and led down paths that that will, you know, burn a lot of calories and waste a lot of time, but not get them any closer to what's really going on. And and I learned a lot from him, both before I was a co-host with him and then while I was a co-host and as a friend and and I would not be here doing this if he hadn't given me my opportunity to start but um with that said you know, yeah uh oh oh i thought you're yeah. gonna i thought you're gonna drop a bomb here on me oh no no i love randy oh, okay I, thought, um, I was like oh shit here we go. wanted to talk to us about time time had always time was one of the main things randy and i talked a lot about mind control a right. lot about um time and time and and dimensional travel and, you know, we talked about just different stuff than most people were talking about at that time. And so Cliff wanted to talk to us about time. So we did probably three or four shows with him. And at a certain point, like, when you're not kind of going along with what Cliff wants to, so where he wants to steer the conversation, he kind of loses interest. And at a certain point, like, I think Randy and I started pushing back on some of the things he was saying 
And then he disappeared and we never heard from him again. Like we had a show scheduled, he canceled, you know, and his wife wasn't well or something, which I know other people who, when he was not no longer interested in, in doing shows with them or when one of his predictions about crypto hadn't really quite panned out or whatever, they would wow. get a similar kind of email. And then I never heard from him again, right? <laughs> which is fine. Like, you know, everybody's doing the thing the way they're doing it and whatever. I, you know, I think he's a good, you, you kind of, everybody has to have like their sort of Alex Jones learning experience right. and their Cliff High learning experience and their whoever their thought leader is for a period of time or someone that they're captivated by. Right. And, and, and he provides a, a level of learning and discernment for people. Right. Um, and so I'm humored mostly by him and he was always very nice to me. So it, it is what it is, but, um, but yeah, I, I feel the same way that, 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 that you do. I don't follow him anymore. I stopped following him about that time that we stopped hearing from him. Um, but I know I hear things, you know, from other people about whatever he's talking about, you know, and so I assume he's just, he's kind of always doing the same thing. And it's kind of like a broken clock is right, right twice a day. And some of those rights are, are, are pretty clever. So I, I haven't you know, talked to him. Done. Right. I haven't talked to him since uh, probably 2017. I haven't checked in on him, but that was I know. The same, time as me. the same time for me. Yeah. It's same been many, many moons. I hope he's well though. I'm, I'm sure he's fine. He seems to be, he's still out there kicking, so. Yeah, he's good. He, <laughs> no harm, no foul. And you, you mentioned time travel. I, had, mm -hmm. I didn't even know he was uh, talking about time travel at any, at any period in uh, He wasn't talking timeline. about time travel. He wanted to talk to us about time. Oh, about time. Yeah, right. So time had been, time was always um, sort of, sort of the ability to manipulate time, our relationship with time, whether we are controlled by time or whether we control time were topics Randy and I had played around with for years. And so I think when he wanted to talk about time, like that was part of why he wanted to talk to us about it, right? Uh -huh. um, but Randy and I did get into time and dimensional travel a little bit, but that okay. was something that... Uh, over the course of the like, about the time that I started working with Michael Wan, which was in 2020, it was like right at the begin beginning of COVID, like time and dimensional travel started to become like a major theme in, like in good, all of my work. Yeah. And it's still, it's a good talking point. Um, you know, I was more along the lines thinking of like time travel, like something, you know, like Andrew Bashago talks about. Yeah, I've spoken with, um, you know, Andrew Bishago. So this was actually one of the topics that we talked about with Cliff, right? Uh -huh. So one of the things that Randy, Cliff, and I are all, we're all in agreement about is that um, Andrew Bashago is telling the truth. Andrew Bashago is not a liar, right. but Andrew Bashago is misunderstanding some of his experiences um, I did about a four-hour show. I'm gonna with, have to. I'm gonna have to watch that because I'm supposed to uh, talk to him uh, over the phone tomorrow. By the way, he might be a guest here uh, shortly. I'm uh, scheduled to do a little rendezvous with him and see what's going on. Uh, interesting. Like to hear about my history and my experience with Andrew uh, Bashago. Absolutely, I want you to provide uh, eight by tens for me here for the show, so I could <laughs> ask him. Joking, of course, okay. but yes, go ahead, lay it on me. 
So first of all, if you, I don't know if he'll remember me or not. But when you talk to him, tell him I say hello, and I hope he's well. And I haven't spoken to him in years, so I'd, be, I'd love to speak with him again sometime. I'll let him know what's going um, on. Yeah, I'll, I could try to rearrange that with him, uh, with you. Yeah. So we did about a four-hour show with him. And it, Randy had done shows with him before then, and uh -huh. then I think he's done shows with him since then. But I was part of about um, a three- or four-hour show with him. And then the conversation continued after for a few hours, right? Uh, Andrew Bishago is from the same town in outside of Los Angeles that I'm from. We went to the same high school and we had a number of the same mysterious experiences as children. Andrew Bishago is a bit older than me, um, but we literally grew up in the same neighborhood. Um, I think Andrew is mistaken. I think that what he experienced was um, more akin to uh, mind control, <laughs> and to the extent, and, and, right? Then, then that he actually went to Mars per se. I, I think he experienced some combination of mind control and possibly um, techniques or technologies that would provide the experience that might be known as something more like, you know, temporal movement or dimensional movement something like that, right? Time travel, dimensional travel. Like, I don't think he traveled um, to a location uh, that is we would know as Mars. That's just my opinion. I'm not saying that because that's what I think that I hear you. right. Um, it, right? And he also, so he claims to have been to Mars, right, through, a, a, through um, an, an elevator uh, down off the, in Los Angeles. Right. And I understand the kind of movement that he's talking about that took place in the elevator that he explains. Um, and he also claims to have jumped from uh, New Jersey to New Mexico, I think. Right. So something like, like that. Uh, yeah. So he's talking about a number of different kinds of movement through space. Right. And then he's also explained some things about, I don't know if he would call it time travel, but sort of like looking into the future. Right. So I think he is reporting his experiences. He's telling the truth about what he believes he experienced. I just think he is misunderstanding how how advanced some sort of uh, mind control and technologies and things like that were. Right. So you're able to very easily clip some of the interviews with him and he sounds, you know, they, they always like to make him sound crazy. Right. I don't think he's crazy. I think he just, you know, he experienced something. He experienced a hundred percent. He experienced yeah. something. He's telling the truth about what he thinks he experienced. And in my opinion, and the only, like, I will just be straight with you. Like I've experienced many similar things to what Andrew has experienced, but I don't think that I have been to Mars. I, I think you. that I run through exercises to make me believe that I've been through two places that I have, there's two possibilities that I've been through sort of some sort of like spiritual or a hypnotic or mind control type of experience. Plant, that, yeah, or planted memory of sorts. Or, or even just like you're traveling sort of in your mind, like an etheric or astral experience that yeah, felt that so real. Right. It's real. Mm -hmm. that, or the other thing is, I do think that the area that he and I grew up in, I do think there is something unusual there in the ground, something that is mm. akin to uh, some type of like 
portal or connection between layers of reality, right? And I do think from that location, it's possible to experience other versions of reality, okay? But they're not far away. Like they're not, you're not going somewhere else. You're just sort of reconfiguring yourself to another, something else that's right here, but at a different frequency, right? Um, So part of the reason that I knew that I, that I believe he's telling the truth, like for myself, is that he was able to confirm some things for me, some strange experiences that I've had. And he knew exactly what I was talking about, right? Like both, like I have always had this memory of this, this weird um, roller skating ring right. in Chatsworth, and I could never find where it was. And he knew exactly what I was talking about and where it was, right? Because uh, he had been there as well. He also informed me of something that I did not know at that point, and that the further I dig into this and it connects to so many things, the more interesting it looks. And that is that Ayn Rand used to live in Chatsworth, and that you know she used to like I basically like, from the time I was a from the time I was a young teenager, Atlas Shrugged has been my favorite book, and I had a very different perception of that book and what it means than most people do. And he starts telling me that when he used to work at the 76 station on the corner of Devonshire and Mason, I know it's hilarious, the names of the streets there, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, that Ayn Rand used to come in and say really weird shit to him, almost like she was like a handler or a controller or something like that, right? So I wow. did not know that Aunt Ayn Rand had lived in Chatsworth. It turns out she lived in Chatsworth while she was writing Atlas Shrugged. And it is my opinion that Atlas Shrugged is actually about Chatsworth. Um, and the, when you look into where she lived, when she was living there, what she was doing and the things she had to say, and you kind of understand some of the things that I understand about Chatsworth and some of the ways that I perceived her book, it's like, oh, okay, there's, there's something there. I had no idea about that. He's the one who told me about that when I explained how obsessed with Ayn Rand I had. He's like, what are you, right? He lived at a gas station that he's talking about that he was working at. That she used to come in and do that. was literally like, you could, you know, if you had a good arm, you could throw a baseball from my house and hit that gas station, right? Um, so the amount of weird things that were going on in that area in the 60s, 70s, and into the 80s, and, and still now, right? But that we're talking about the time frame where he was affected by it. He also went to UCLA, as did I as did my parents, right? And, you know, so I have a lot of things in common with him and there is a fair amount of overlap from some of the experiences that he reports and experiences wow. that I myself have had. I just have a different perception of what was happening. Now, I'm also a bit younger, right? And I have grown up with certain ideas and technologies that he didn't or that weren't publicly known then, right? So you know, he may have taken things more literally than we would take things now because we understand how some of the sausage is made in a sure. different way than they understood in the 60s and 70s, right? Um, but I found him to be very kind and there was not a bone in my body that thought he was telling me something that wasn't true, right? I, I just think yeah. that like, there's a different way to perceive the things he reports and that 
those can match up to a lot of things that would provide a lot of evidence for a lot of things that are going on in the world. Absolutely. And that, that's crazy that, um, we, we, you know, we had a synchronicity right here. You know, I had no <laughs> idea that you even knew of Andrew at all. Um, I just yeah. threw his name out there and then look what happened. Um, people say that once they come around me, the synchronicities start happening fast and furious. Like people will report things like, um, I was watching a show that you did that you posted two weeks ago. And while I was watching the show, my girlfriend was in the other room reading and she came out of the room because at the same moment you said whatever, some sentence, she'd read the same sentence in the book she was reading. Right. That's like that there seems to be some syncing up, right. That happens for Pete and she like that her girlfriend in the other room doesn't listen to my show or care about what I'm talking about. Right. But it happens even for that. So I don't know what that is. Now, if, if, you know, sometimes the synchrony, like with the synchronicities, sometimes I wonder, are we generating them or are we attracted to them? Are we like, right, um, right, what's causing it? Right. So is there like, uh, might, do I say something that then makes something happen? Or is something about to happen that I can feel and therefore I say it, like I say it because it's, I can, there's this sense of it's impending, right? So, what, it, you know, we've played a lot with that. So I don't know if there's this natural like syncing up of like energies around specific ideas or terms or phrases or, or whatever it is, right? I, I don't know how exactly how it works. I've been playing with this for a couple of years and while I've learned a lot, I can't honestly tell you I'm any closer to <laughs> knowing what the truth is about the role that synchronicity plays in our existence. Um, but there's a really good book called Synchronicity by F. David Pete that um, can help people understand sort of how synchronicity is part of the underlying nature of our reality. Right. I just think the universe is sort of all embedded into another layer of another layer upon another layer and somehow these things sort of uh, connect to like magnets of sorts it's like a new it's like a brand new sort of a physics that we have yet to really determine how the hell it even works in my opinion i agree i don't even think uh young uh, even understood it uh, as far as i remember yeah young some of uh, young is talked about in this book and David Bohm and a lot of people who've done lots of work in philosophy and in physics and how those things coalesce around synchronicity. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, it's a, it's a fascinating topic. And I do think it, it I agree with you. There's like some, There's something there, there it, it, it's some, it's something that brings together some kind of science and some kind of spirituality. When I say spirituality, I don't mean like of the, like religious, I don't mean like that. Like, I don't mean, that. I mean, there's, there's some energy that comes from within us that matches up to the way physics and chemistry and biology and things like that work that, that create this sort of blended, right? It's kind of like a fusion type of thing, right? Um, and fusion is one of the things I really like to talk about. But right, um, you know what that reminds yeah. me of also is uh, the work of Eve Lorgan. 
by the way, in terms of like, you know, she's had, she had talked about how there's people that, you know, they've witnessed, um, like you, a UFO where they've been abducted and, you know, they go to these events and both of these people sort of connect with each other, like no other. And then they get led down to a strange sort of relationship of sorts. Right. The love bite. The, the love alien bite. love. Yeah. Right. I love Eve Lorgan, by the way, also a, a regular here at times. I've never, I, I'm, I'm familiar with who she is and that idea. I'm not deeply familiar with her material. I've never spoken with her, but it's certainly You'll you love know, her. out in the community for, you know, a number of years. Oh, yeah. you would, you would love her, by the way. So I don't go to UFO conferences for that reason. I don't want to get bit by right. Yeah, you don't want to get kidding. it. <laughs> I'm just <Yeah>. kidding. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, Emily, I must say a time flew by here and, you know, there's so many other things I would uh, love to talk to you about, but uh, we uh, are, are against time here as usual. Time is never on our side, as you know, but I, I do want to thank you for spending some time with me here and sharing your thoughts and opinions and being as open as you had been here. Uh, my audience loves that sort of thing and they'll, they're going to love you once they hear this. <laughs> well, thank you, Michael. It's been a pleasure to spend a little bit of time with you and hopefully we'll do it again sometime. Oh, absolutely. We'll do round two. And Emily, please feel free uh, to plug anything you'd like here before you go. And you can leave us with some final words if you want, or you can uh, just say, uh, I'm, I'm out of here and give us, give us an Irish <laughs> goodbye, as they say. Well, if people are intrigued, like, as you said, my YouTube channel is uh, Emily Moyer. Um, there are hundreds of videos there. I don't post that much long form stuff. I'm not posting too much there these days, but sometimes I do a public show, but, um, you can find my work. Uh, I have a website, uh, emilycmoyer.com. Um, you can find links to all my content there. I'm on patreon.com. That's still like the old off planet media Patreon, but it's patreon.com forward slash off planet media emilymoyer.locals.com and I'm also on rockfin.com forward slash emilymoyer. I have different varieties of material that are available in different places and I do often make some of the content public on Rockfin or Locals um, so for free right after my supporters have gotten it so people can go there and sample it for free and whatnot. I also always offer free promo codes for I have a variety of different communities on Locals so people can check out my material um, I'm also a nutrition consultant. I come at it from kind of a little bit more esoteric of a perspective. And I also do storytelling sessions with people. So if you want to talk about weird shit, you can come do that with me. Um, yeah, I don't know. So people are intrigued. They can find my, my work there. Um, I have hundreds of hours of being on other people's shows. I'm kind of talking all the time. So, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Just it, we live in really interesting times. It feels like pretty chaotic um, and, and a little bit heavy uh, right now. But um, it's definitely not boring to be alive. And I, I guess one of the things I'm really kind of into right now is just, um, you know, starting to we none of us who are here listening to you or talking to you. Uh, obviously are buying the mainstream narrative or probably even like layer one or layer two of conspiracy or counter narrative or whatever it is. But I've been really digging into the idea of like how much time we have spent with some of these conspiracies and 
like we're still talking about some of them right like 20 or 25 years later right and like what have if if something is trying to be obscured how much work has been done on the thing that's really trying to be obscured while we've been chasing down clues on 25 year old mysteries right Good point. and in my opinion the most of the things that are going on that they're trying to keep us distracted from with politics with like the social issues and all of that kind of stuff really have to do with <clears throat> advances in power and genetics and how those things relate to uh Temporal and dimensional control, let's just put it that way, right? Um, and war, political chaos, pandemic, famine, inflation, you know, Pizzagate type things keep us busy, like looking for like whether people's shoes match and, you know, digging out all kinds of weird arcane information. But very few people that I know in this realm have really like spent a lot of time looking into advances that have been made in genetic engineering, nuclear fusion, and what those things have to do with the way we move through the reality and the realms that we are in. And I actually think that like, that's where the big kahuna is. And if we can be distracted away from understanding how those physics and those metaphysics work, by something like a school shooting or whether Hillary Clinton has a boot on or something like that, right. then they have all the time in the world to advance themselves while we do that stuff. So I spend less time with that these days than I used to. Um, and and it, they're fascinating topics at nuclear fusion, uh, genetic engineering, DNA, all of this kind of stuff. And it, it's hard to understand, but not as hard as people think it is and probably a better use of our time than deconstructing all the, 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 the conspiracy of the day. Right? I agree. So. I mean, some people could uh, connect dots with anything to justify whatever that shit idea they have in their heads. Yeah. Unfortunately, but that's, um, people don't like to, uh, give you the truth just like uh, you did here today. And I think people will appreciate that. So once again, thank you so much, Emily, for that. And we'll do it again on the other side. Thank you, Michael. Have a wonderful evening. And welcome back, boys and girls, for another special edition of the Michael Deacon Program. Joining me in a moment, we have new blood. My guest will be Emily Moyer. She is a multifaceted professional serving as a nutrition consultant, life coach, and podcast host with a knack for blending unique life experiences, intuitive research, and analytical approach. She explores unconventional ideas from various domains, including alternative cyberspace, the arts, health, sports, and human development. Her podcasts offer fresh perspectives and, and concepts for our ever-evolving understanding. Now, without further ado, let's get down to business and bring in Emily. And there she goes, boys and girls. That was our guest for this evening. We were joined by Emily Moyer, and definitely go check out her show by searching Emily Moyer on YouTube or wherever you get podcasts. I hope you enjoyed that one. And of course, much love and respect to all of you new subscribers out there. And of course, those of you who want bonus material, please go to patreon.com forward slash Michael Deacon or go to michaeldeacon.com and get yourself some merchandise. There's some awesome t-shirts there. There's a beer mug there, a giant pint. 
an Amber Heard size pint for you. And of course, the Thug Life Trump t-shirt, which I love, by the way, looks amazing. Don't be shy now. And we've launched a form, basically a message board in other words, but you can hang out with me and uh, Mike and other listeners just like yourself. Sign up today, michaeldeacon.com. And with that said, the world is a mysterious place and life itself is a mystery. Until next time, mahalo.